The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Before we get started on this episode, I wanted to share something I'm real excited about. I know how challenging it can be to lead change as a CX leader. I know because I was a CX practitioner for over a decade and I have been there. I can tell you it's frustrating. I know sometimes it can even feel deflating, but it doesn't have to be that way. I put together a comprehensive workshop that is that has all the components I wish I had when I was a practitioner. And it's called the Trusted Guide Roadmap. Um, and I'm inviting 12 people to help be part of a pilot program here and give me feedback um, in exchange for a heavily discounted rate for this first one. I think we have a few spots left at the time this will air. And if you're interested, you can just go to my website, Empowered CX, to find out more about it. But we're going to be digging in and provide you with really a comprehensive view from how what it means to become a trusted guide for change to key stakeholder mapping to maturity assessments to building your CX roadmap for 2024 and a whole lot more and I hope to learn a lot from the other people who are in there good chance for you to network as well so look forward to that if you're interested take a peek at the website now let's get on with today's show Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here. I empower leaders to turn indifferent customers into loyal fans. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights and wisdom. We give you practical tips and proven frameworks and share ways to help you delight your customers. Well, I, I can't wait for today's episode. Very special guest all the way from the other side of the pond, my guest, Ian Golding. Hi, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. And it is my pleasure. Uh, Ian and I have crossed paths for probably a decade in the CX world. He's been very involved in promoting our profession. Uh, he's written a book. He 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 is an awards master of ceremony. Uh, he is a CX expert and thought leader in our industry, and um, he's been a supporter of the CXPA as well. So today, um, it, it, this is going to be a little different because I've never just really had a free flowing conversation uh, with anyone on a podcast. Usually, we have some format some ideas of what we want to talk about, but there really is so much to talk about in our profession, Ian, would you say? You know, it, it, there is never enough time to talk about all of it, Mark. Um, but as people that know me know, once you get me started, it's difficult to <laughs> stop me. So so let's hope we, we you can control me in the time we've got. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. I have enough trouble controlling myself. <laughs> um, but but there's so much to talk about. And one of the things that I want to kind of pick your brain and see what you're thinking about. And at some point, I don't let me forget, I want to talk about what you see the differences in the world of CX, and they may be subtle between the UK and the US. Yes. Right. Because we, we think here in the US, we're the center of the universe. Yes. 
And uh, I know I'm smart enough, at least, to know that we're not. Yes. Um, <laughs> but um, but there is a world around us, and CX is is developing in different ways. But tell me, tell me what you think the biggest, some of the biggest challenges are for companies when it comes to customer experience, and then for the CX practitioner, CX leader. So there are so many challenges. Yeah. But. In recent times, I say in recent times, some would argue from the very beginning of time, the greatest challenge right now is, in my opinion, an understanding of accountability when it comes to customer experience. Um, those who know the CXPA and know the CCXP accreditation will know that one of the competencies is culture and accountability. And I, interestingly, a few years ago, they used to be two separate competencies, but they were combined together. Um, and people always ask me, which of the competencies are least mature, least mature in organizations' ability to adopt them? And some people say to me, it's got to be metrics, measurement and ROI. You know, surely that's the one. In reality, from what I see around the world, the competency that is the least mature is culture and accountability. And the driver of it is the accountability portion. The lack of understanding of accountability for customer experience still to this day is astonishing. Um, leadership, leadership teams in general across all industries, whether it be B2B, B2C, um, still are demonstrating far too often that they don't recognize that they collectively are accountable, accountable for the experiences that their organizations deliver, which in itself causes a problem for the profession. Because as we have customer experience in our job title, the default is that it's us that are accountable for the customer experience. Mm -hmm. And so whenever there is a problem, the fingers are pointed directly at the CX professional, but we're not accountable for the experience that an organization delivers. The organization is accountable for the experience it delivers. We're accountable for defining the approach, holding the mirror up, um, get, uh, allowing the organization to understand what skills, competencies, um, uh, capabilities are required to improve the experience, but it is not our experience. You know, so often in my career, I've seen customer experience teams create the customer experience strategy, you know, but it's not the customer experience team's strategy. It's the organization's customer experience strategy. And, and so uh, a long-winded answer to the question, but if I'm very focused on the biggest challenge, getting leadership teams to understand that collective accountability that is still the number one i love it i love it and it goes back to what we we joked about earlier about this idea of control right so the cx leader can't control other people well, i want to talk about it next what the cx leader's accountability should be and what it is a little bit more in more detail but what you're talking about reminds me of this uh story brand and the hero's journey because 
uh, every hero, you know, in a story is the one you're rooting for, you're, you're pulling for at the end. Yes. Uh, they're going to overcome the odds and, and get some sort of victory, which is a resolution. But they're not the one with the wisdom. They're, the guide is the one with the wisdom, right? Yes. And that's sort of what the CX leader is, sort of the guide, but not the person doing the journey, yes. not the person the hero of the story hero of the story really should be the customer right and and, and i would argue the employee yeah. yeah you know because ultimately it, it it's people who deliver the experience yeah um and I, I talk a lot about what i call the accidental experience because many organizations around the world that talk about this now what they're actually delivering are experiences by accident and mm -hmm. they're by accident because they are entirely reliant on the goodwill of their people that there's no structured approach to customer experience right it happens because they've got people many of whom will literally crawl over hot coals to do whatever it takes for the customer but as i say that's not intentional you know, it, it happens because that's what those people feel they should do. You and I have both interacted with people in our careers who are just amazing, you know, and, yeah. and you, you'd like to clone them. And if every employee was like them, the, the problem is that not only is that unfair on those people who are naturally built that way, it, it's also not sustainable because for the customer, it's a lottery. You know, it depends who you get as to what the experience is going to be like. Yeah. But, but it's also not sustainable for the employee because that these people eventually burn out. Yeah. You know, they, they can't keep doing that, you know, and to a degree, they also get to the point where they feel taken for granted. And right. so even these employee heroes, as I like to call them, yeah. have a limit where, do you know what? I, I can't keep doing this. I want to go somewhere where people value what I do. So you know, I, I think it is vitally important that there is a recognition of the importance of people and how they collectively contribute to this. But coming back to your point about guide, I've never considered it before. I think that's a brilliant um, uh, articulation of what a customer experience professional is. And in fact, I have said before that there there are five CCX competencies ccxp competencies i would argue there's an unwritten sixth and the unwritten sixth competency is for us to have passion commitment persistence sheer bloody mindedness to to influence organizations to keep this happening and i think that's where the the the, the guiding element of what we do comes in you know because we are we've got broad shoulders we have to have broad shoulders because very often people need to put their head on them and cry <laughs> you know <laughs> but, but that that's what we're there to do yeah uh, I, I love what you said about um you know the perseverance and it's so hard not to take some of the some of this personally um i, I remember so many times i 10 years i worked at a bank and um, I would go home and, and be up at night and just feel like I totally failed in something that was so obvious that needed to be done. Um, so yeah, that that's a gene. That's a gene in your DNA and your you CX. Know, I think that, that the words imposter syndrome mm. um, are yeah. banded about a lot. And I think it, it's fair to say that 
that happens to everyone, yeah. um, whatever career they're in. But I think the imposter syndrome for a CX professional is it, it, it's almost more extreme than others. But because yeah. to your point, we do take this personally to a degree because I, I think great customer experience professionals, the greatest professionals I've worked with and met in my career, this isn't necessarily a job. It, it's more than a job. It's a vocation. I've mm. always said it's my vocation. Mm-hmm. And it, the reason for that is that what we're trying to do is what we feel is the right thing for the organization, for the customer, for the employee, for its shareholders. It's not about us. It's about the organization. So when you're operating in that way, when someone belittles you, patronizes you, um, intentionally tries to push you out the way but because they don't want to hear it it does feel personal you know and so many times in my career i've said this to many people that i've i've questioned myself you know am, am i going mad um and a story that i'm very happy to to share with people is uh, i worked for an organization for six months and i worked with an organization for six months as an employee but I handed in my notice after two days and I handed in my notice after two days because to, to paraphrase this organization did not want me to do the right thing for the customer. Mm. And I couldn't do that. I, I can't do that. What, what they told me in the interview was not reality. And when I handed in my notice, my boss looked me straight in the eyes and said that I was the most emotionally immature person he'd ever met. And Honestly, Mark, it really hurt, you know, which is why I still talk about it now because it, it will never leave me. And mm. maybe he's right. You know, what is wrong with me? But I wasn't emotionally immature. I was standing by what I believed in. And I think, you know, at the time I only had one child. Now, you know, <laughs> whether or not it was the most sensible decision to make from a financial perspective is a different matter. But yeah. I'm so pleased that I did stick to my principles um, of doing what I think was right. Um, And interestingly, about three years ago, that same person contacted me Mm. after all those years and asked me for help, um, which which I sort of think is a a nice full circle of retribution almost. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. Um, Yeah, so um, look, I can empathize with any CX leader who's taken incoming and incoming friendly fire uh, from people who you thought were were advocates. And, you know, there's so many that say they're customer centric and they believe the customer comes first. Let me let me double tap and go back on um, what we talked about earlier with the CX leader really having the role of a guide. Yes. And and ca- what you said earlier, accountability, and I couldn't agree more. Um, so then if if what we're trying to do really is have a different way of working across the organization, right? Embedding this customer experience yes. philosophy into the heart and minds of each and every employee, where does the responsibility lie? So it's a very good question. Um, from a CX professional perspective, a, a huge part of what we do is influence change. Um, you know, fundamentally, most CX professionals don't own parts of the experience. Some do. Some yeah. report into marketing, some report into customer service. And so 
I, I will always describe that to a degree as marking your own homework, but hmm. many customer experience professionals are in de- totally independent of the functions that deliver the journey. Um, and that means that we have got a very important responsibility to guide and support the organization in understanding how to become more customer led. Now, that ability to influence, I think sometimes we don't as a profession spend enough time talking about it because influencing is is a, a skill in its own right. Now, my ultimate background is in process improvement. I'm a Lean Six Sigma Master Black Belt, amongst other things. And when I was in a, in doing process improvement type work, I came across a lot of peers of mine who would go into companies and say, your processes are terrible. You know, you need to do this. And I thought, what are you doing? You know, how are you going to influence someone by just telling them that they're rubbish? <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't work like that. You know, yeah. our role is to give people the belief and understanding that where we are today isn't effective. And and actually that's having a negative impact on the work we do, how we do it, and ultimately what the customer experiences. And what I can do is help you to find the information, the facts, the data, and the answers to what we could do differently that would make your people's lives easier and ultimately help you reach your numbers in a more powerful way. That's what I'm here to do. Um, You know, it's not, I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm not here to try and tell you how to do your job better. I don't know how to do your job, but what I can do is help you to see the light. And I, I developed a model a few, about 12 years ago that I call the customer experience readiness model. And I developed it because I think far too often we're we're trying to do customer experience to leaders, but they're not ready for it. You, you know that they, they don't even realise that that they need to do it. And if we just storm in and say, "Right, you are now responsible for," it's like, what, "What's wrong with me?" You know, I, I always used to say to people, "If you tell them that you, you you need my help as a customer experience professional, their response might be, "Well, what's wrong with me?" You know, it's, a, it's like telling someone that they're depressed. You know, you, you need to go and see a counsellor, you're depressed. It's like, you know, if we as a customer experience community say we need to help you, it's like, well, what, what, what have I done wrong? So it's not yeah. about doing it to people. It's about allowing them to understand what the future could look like. And if you want to, to achieve sustainable growth, becoming a customer-led organisation actually is a very powerful way of doing it. And let's determine how you might go about doing that. So that that's what we're responsible for, in my opinion, yeah. uh, and then enabling organizations to know how to do it. Leaders who have direct responsibility and accountability for interactions in the customer journey, they are, whether they like it or not, accountable for the interactions that customers have but again we can't just brutally tell them that we've got to give them the knowledge to recognize that for themselves and i spend a lot of time not telling people the situation but getting them to understand it for themselves yeah because that's the secret yeah i think one of the words you used i really liked is influence 
And I, I think for me, um, it was about three or four years into my CX role that I realized my job was more of a change agent. Yes. Yes. And this was a this was largely about change management. Um, and so that's why the word influence, I think, is is so important. And yes. um, I've recently drawn back on some of my experience. I, I worked with an organization called Trusted Advisor Associates, uh, and the gentleman who wrote the book, the tr- co-authored the book, The Trusted Advisor, yes. twenty yes. years ago, Charlie Green, um, and and started looking at my CX business as a way to help CX leaders become more trustworthy as a leader in order to influence. Oh, that's other- that's a great point. Other leaders, right? So that, so that the, I think the skills that you know we tend to focus on are credibility and reliability. Um, this idea that we have all this data that we can pull that we never had before. Maybe we had some before on the customer voice, or or that we we know our stuff. We're knowledgeable. Um, that that's all about us. Yes. But if if you're thinking about it and reframing the problem that we're dealing with. Yes. As you just described, it's about changing mindsets and changing hearts and not not saying, I've got the answers, you need yes. to listen to me, but Brilliant. enlisting, right? Enlisting their support and getting them to see the big picture. Does that make that sense? That's a brilliant point. That, that, that point about trust, I, I, I could not agree more. Um, you know, to, to a degree that, that I think we need to possess... A, a very high element of authenticity and humility. Mm. You know, if the, the the challenge with what I've just said is that we live in a world where, unfortunately, in most corporate organisations, whilst there are lots of people who want to do the right thing, there are equally as many people who are only interested in their own personal progression. You know, it's all about job title, salary and moving up the ladder, you know, yeah. which is what we, we were told when we were young boys, you know, you've got to keep going up the ladder. The, the, the thing is, if you try to do that as a customer experience professional, then your actions are focused on you getting attention so you can go up the ladder, not on enabling the organization to transform itself. The most, in my opinion, Effective customer experience professionals are the ones where it is not about them. It cannot be about us. It has got to be about the organization. But that in itself is tough, you know, because I say that to people and they're like, so so does that mean that I can't get promoted? No. (laughs) But but if your primary objective is to become a VP, you know, all you're going to do is try to become a VP. You know, if your primary objective is to help your organization become sustainably customer centric, that's not about you. That's about the organization. That means that you will make tough decisions and do things that actually won't make you popular. All right. Which may actually mean you won't get a promotion. All right. I, I, I tell a story about my my time as group head of customer experience for a retailer. I was never promoted in seven years. And the reason I wasn't promoted is that I, I was the chief company irritant. No one was going to promote me, but I got pay rises. But at the beginning of my career, I thought, well, why am I not getting promoted? You know, what's wrong with me? But then I suddenly realized, you know, who cares what my job title is? It, it's not about that. You know, it, it's about me seeing the organization that I'm guiding using your your brilliant word delivering the change that it needs and and when i look back 
I enabled that to happen. I enabled so much of that to happen. And that's amazing that I was able to do that. But if it had been about me, the likelihood is that wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So the, the, one of the messages here, one of the gems here is it's not about you, um, that you can't control, uh, other people and that you're going to need to have success through influence, influencing others, enabling the organization, being a guide to, to the organization, reframing early, the earlier you can reframe your role, I think. Yes. As a change agent and someone who needs to get things done by building trust. Yes. With with the key stakeholders. Okay, now now another challenge question for you, okay. uh, because so far I think that you've been handling them so well. I think they're too easy. Okay, okay, go uh, for it. <laughs> okay, so now you're you're doing everything you can as as the guide as a CX leader, but you've got. I'm just going to throw this out there: the head of sales, head of revenue in the organization, and you've got this mean and dirty adversary called complacency yes complacency as a result of we've we've got gotten a 10 percent growth in revenues the yes. last three years consecutive so and and i am interested as a chief as a chief revenue officer or whatever in 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 getting you know higher up in the organization or whatever fame and fortune i'm interested in so um, yeah, I, I got the lip service. I, I, I got what you're saying about customer experience. Hey, if we weren't great at customer experience, we wouldn't be getting so many, so yeah. such an increase in revenue. Yeah. So you go home and pull your hair out of your head and have uh, a shot of vodka, whatever it is you do <laughs> to deal with drowning your sorrows out. What's a better way? And and how? Mm-hmm. W- what would you counsel the per the CX leader who's struggling with? I don't know. I'll call them, and since we didn't name names, I'll just call them roadblocks. Yeah, yeah. No, that that's absolutely fine. And and everyone will resonate with the person you're describing um, because they are everywhere, and there will always be a skeptic who doesn't believe and doesn't think it's necessary. Um, I, I, when I refer back to my readiness model, I describe these people as being in the acknowledge phase because. But they don't think there's a problem. Um, sticking with your vodka analogy, uh, uh, it's not very politically correct, but I often call that the alcoholic phase because they are the leaders who do not want to admit they have a problem. OK, now, the the, the thing about our profession is that it, it's very easy to be dispirited by that. It is very easy to go home and think, oh, what am I going to do? But it's also very easy to think of those people in a negative light, you know, because we'll, we'll probably be thinking oh, God, they're so stupid. They're so ignorant. They're so arrogant. And it generates the wrong emotion in us that mm. then becomes adversarial mm. rather than us sticking with that principle of being the guide. Because what we've got to tell ourselves is, is that those people are stuck in that acknowledge phase for a reason. And they're stuck in that phase because usually they don't have the information. They don't have the information that allows them to understand that if we stay as we are, actually, we're going to have a problem. Okay, and I believe it's down to us to give them that information. I will always say to people that customer experience has to be a fact based methodology. Mm. Not based on opinion, not based on gut feel, but based on facts. Yeah. And if we don't have the facts, you will never be able to convince the skeptic that, you know, their opinion is wrong. 
Okay, now it's not about proving them wrong, but it's about opening their eyes to the facts. The facts that could be related to um, what is happening with competitors. It could be that the industry is starting to be disrupted um, and that, you know, if we don't actually get a handle of this, in five years' time, we won't be where we are now. Um, it, it could be that actually that the facts of the matter are that customer experience is stalling in the organization. It's not actually as good as you think it is. But we have got to find those facts. Um, I, I want to give you an example of an organization that is the opposite of what you described. So I, I worked with one of the world's largest manufacturers of water pumps. It's a Danish okay. company called Grundfos, amazing organization, over 80 years old, hugely profitable. They make the best water pumps on earth, undisputed. It's the, the kind of organization that you've never heard of, but you've probably got one in your home. Okay. Now, yeah. I said to them, what do you want my help for? <laughs> you know, you've got the best product. You're hugely profitable, a brilliant history. And they said to me, well, that's today, Ian. But what about in five years' time? Because there are factories all around the world now making water pumps that look exactly the same as ours. They're not as good. They won't last as long, but they're a fraction of the price. Hmm. And as the environment changes around us, we know that our customers increasingly have got that choice to make. Carry on buying the best or buy something that looks the same but costs a lot less. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what they were doing was thinking proactively about the future you know we cannot rely on the quality of our product and our brand reputation forever you know that that will not be a differentiator indefinitely what we've got to be thinking is how do we differentiate ourselves in the future um, where there are other factors that customers will use to make a decision? And if we can differentiate on the whole experience, it doesn't matter what the price of the product is. People will still want to interact with us. So uh, I think that that's an example. They weren't skeptics. They were um, uh, true pioneers of thinking forward. But yeah. I think we do live in a world, unfortunately, where the skeptic, as you described it, that's the leader who waits for the burning platform. That's the leader who says, no, 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 we're fine. We don't need to do any of this. And then suddenly, you know, that the fires start burning and that's when they come and say, what do we do? But then it's too late. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a great illustration of, you know, an outside in approach um, to, it's really what you're talking about is there's some risk, even the person who's the roadblock has some risk that they're concerned about. And this goes back to reframing and thinking about your role as a trusted advisor yes. to these key stakeholders, which means that you, part of your homework is to understand what kind of motivates, what's their goal, what's Did their you, goal. It's, it's too easy yeah. for, for our, people working in our profession to not empathize with that guy, with, with yeah. the, I say guy or girl, right. the, with the roadblock. Right. Um, but actually, we do need to empathize with them. Uh, I, I, however hard that might be, we do. Because, you know, that usually people are, are very fearful of the future for themselves personally. You know, it, it, is my job going to become 
redundant um you know with all of the automation and technology are they going to need me anymore um i'm getting older and there are these younger people coming in and you know there, there are so many other things going on in people's lives that actually lead them to behave in that way um and also a lot of these people are just doing what their boss is telling them to do and they're, they're just worried that if i don't do that I'm, i've got a problem so i yeah, you know, go away. I, I haven't got time to listen to you. I've just got to get on and do what my boss does. So I think it's so important that we do empathize with that and recognize that as a result, if we give them even the slightest sense that we're going to make their life more difficult, their life more complicated, that they're just going to shut down. You know, right. that's why we've got to listen to them, acknowledge where they are, and then show them how we might be able to help them but don't force it down their throats you know yeah. i think the other risk of of people in our profession it, this is going to sound slightly strange but because of what i said earlier about the vocation because customer experience for so many of us is in here we just want to charge in and you know go so hard but if people aren't ready for that you know you, you you'll overwhelm them and actually it will blast people backwards so one of the, the the skills i think of our profession is to go at the pace the organization can accommodate which might be far slower than you would like but yeah. that may well have to be the way it is you know you you've got you if you go too fast you, you will cause a problem that's that's such a great point this the the idea of pacing um, re really important. So a couple of things I'm thinking about with for the as someone who's been there and has kind of been in the trenches, and I know you have too, for sure, it's uh, it's frustrating sometimes. And, you know, you're dealing with this this person or multiple people who are roadblocks. And, and to your point, it's it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, I, I think about some tips, you know, both both practical tips and then for your own health and mindset is the way to think about it is to reframe it as a, as a marathon as reframe it as you're a trust you're building trust with key stakeholders a couple of tips and i'll throw one out there to get started is if i've got someone pretty high up in the organization uh who is a roadblock what if what if you could go to one of their people on their team and create an ally yes you know because the worst thing you, ha you have is an adversary on their team in these, they get in their own meetings and this, you know, that guy, Mark, boy, he, he's throwing this stuff at us. It doesn't make any sense. He's telling us we're wrong the way we're doing, okay. you know, things on the other hand, if you help them achieve one of their goals, perhaps you can, you know, that, that could bubble up and you start to melt some of the ice. Yeah. Uh, I actually call that borrowing authority. Yeah. You know, which, which I think is a, a really important tip, actually. Uh, uh, and sometimes borrowing authority can be from someone you've not really considered before. Um, I, I think we don't, as a community, spend enough time influencing finance, for example. Mm. Um, it's amazing how influential finance people are. You yeah. know, and if you can convince them um, and get their support, so so that's one thing. Um, but but I think uh, um, uh, other tips of how you can uh, get the support of people that are in in that elevated role. Um, I, I think it's so important that we take time to, uh, sorry, when we're trying to influence people in, in those elevated roles, firstly, that we take time ourselves to think. I, I spend so much time 
um, talking to organizations about the importance of giving their employees time to think, because if we're going to become customer centric, people need to be thinking and acting in the interests of the customer. And we're so task focused that very often people are only focused on the task. They're not thinking about why they're doing the task. As a customer experience professional, we don't often do that to ourselves. So I think there are times when we just need to stop and reflect, you know, and just give yourself a little bit of time to think, give yourself a little bit of time to strategize about where have we come from, where are we now and where are we going? We're so busy in trying to do all of the do, do we stop and give ourselves that reflection time? Hmm. Now, I, I don't think we do it enough. Yeah. Yeah. But, but connected to that is the importance of networking. It, which might sound a bit cliched, but to, when um, Bruce Temkin first spoke to me in 2010, I think it was about the CXPA and what, what him and Gene were planning to do in creating this thing, it, uh, to say it was like manna from heaven is is an understatement because I thought it was just me. <laughs> you know, it's like, am I the only nutcase in the world? But I wasn't, you know, and there are so many CX professionals who feel alone you know, but you have got this unbelievable community out there of people who are going through exactly the same thing as you, that that they're in, in very similar situations and talking to your peers and just realizing that, do you know what, we're, we're all in this together. It's the most giving and sharing community of professionals, I think, in the world. You know, people will help you. They will support you. I've I've got an amazing network of people who work in non-competing industries that they'll offer to go and speak to your company about what their organization did. You know, you've got to leverage your, your closest supporters who are your peers and don't hesitate to reach out to them. Um, people know, Mark, that I will always say to someone, if you want something, just reach out to me. And they said, what, you, really? I was like, oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, because I needed that. I needed someone to talk to. And if, if you need someone to talk to, there are thousands of peers who would be more than happy to do that. Yeah. Well, well said. I, we're kindred spirit. Um, and and there's it's like the most giving. I, I came from the office products industry. I work for a company called Office Mac. Before that, it was called Boise Cascade. Now they got swallowed up. They're part of Office Depot. Yes. And we used to get counseled on, you know, you're not even to, if you're at an event, an industry event that someone else is at with a competitor, you need to send a report, document it and send it to HR the next day. So, <laughs> yeah. And what you talked about, if you talk to them, what you talked about. So talk about the opposite of that in our profession. Um, it really is. So we, we, uh, skipped and I got to land the plane soon, uh, yes. because I talked to you all day. I mean, this I did is say that was the risk. <laughs> it's no, it's fascinating. And you've, you've done so much for our profession. Uh, and I kind of skipped over this at the beginning you do. So tell me kind of briefly the run up of how you got to where you are and what you do today. So uh, as I said earlier, actually, I, I started my career in, process improvement actually but without realizing it i was naturally doing what i did ultimately with the customer in mind so from day one what hmm. i was doing was customer-led um i spent 17 years working in corporate 
financial services, outsourcing, food service, and then ultimately online retail. Um, it was only in 2005 that for the very first time I had CX in my job title. Hmm. Um, now, no one knew what customer experience was. My organization didn't know what it was. And it just evolved. And like many people, it happened by accident, I, I think. Now, when I reflect back, as I say, everything I was doing was always about the customer experience. It just hadn't been defined like that. Um, so when when I was working with my retailer, my wife for years had said to me, Ian, you're helping one company. You should be helping lots of companies. Go out on your own. But I'm naturally a risk taker, actually. <laughs> so, uh, sorry, not a risk taker. Mm, so okay. that, that was just so scary for me that sure. I, I just I can't do that. So, what what actually happened? And I think I shared this story with you. Uh, in uh, 2012, I appeared in a Living History program on the BBC, and when I said to my boss, "You know, can I have four weeks unpaid leave to go and appear on this TV program?" Said, yeah, 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 that's fine. Um, it, it was the beginning of the end. So. I went on the TV program and then went independent. Um, and for 12 and a half years now, I have traveled around the world helping professionals and organizations in all industries understand two things. Firstly, what, what I call the science of customer experience. And then I've helped many to operationalize that science. So roughly 50% of what I do is sharing knowledge. And I use that terminology intentionally because I believe that this is a discipline that you don't do it to people. You give them the knowledge to do it themselves. So mm. I spend a lot of my time giving people that knowledge and belief to do it themselves. And then where people need help applying it, I will go in and help them to do that. So it's it's sort of it's roughly 50-50. And then as you know, I I ramble a lot about the subject and write a lot about the subject as well. <laughs> well, and and you also are an author, right? And so what was the white space that you felt was out there to write customer what? Well, do you know, I in fact I will give a shout out to Mike Wittenstein, uh, um, another um uh, founding member of the CXPA. When I went independent, Mike was one of the first people I spoke to um, because uh, I, I do sometimes practice what I preach. And I was talking to my peers about, you know, what, what do I do? And, and Mike said, right, you need to write about it, Ian. You've got so many perspectives and I'd never written anything in my life. I thought, okay, I'll give it a go. And so I wrote a blog. Oh, I quite like that. And so I wrote another one and I wrote another one. I ended up writing over 600 articles in the next few years. Um, not because I felt I had to, but, but, but because actually, finally, it was my way of getting everything off my chest. I was no longer employed and I could share my philosophy with the world. And it, it, it became just part of what I did. And I'm, as I'm writing all of these articles, people increasingly say to me, you've got to write a book. You need to write it out. And I, I resisted. And then eventually I thought, you know what? I need to write a book. And I need to write a book because I've now been doing this for a long time. And every time someone says to me, what do you do? And I say, I'm a customer experience professional. They'd say to me, customer what? <laughs> and, and, and that's where it came from. So um, with, with the amazing help of a brilliant professional who I work with called Beth Richardson, I was able to pull together 
all of my thoughts and philosophies into something that I wanted to be a practical guide. You know, I, I want it to be something that that people can go to to give them that little bit of belief and inspiration to make it happen. And so it, it, it's one of, if not the best thing I've done in my career is produce that book. I have been asked to do another one, which it, it will happen eventually, but now's not the right time. But yeah, I, I'm very proud of Customer Watch. Excellent. And let's circle back to that question um, I asked earlier that I was hoping we wouldn't forget, which is <clears throat> when you think about the customer experience world in the UK and mm. compare it to the US, what are some of the differences? Okay. So th this is the the sharp intake of uh, breath moment, Mark, because I, I can only say it as it is. Um, I'm very fortunate that I work on every continent on earth, apart from Antarctica, as I always have to say. Um, I was in Brazil last month. Um, I do a lot across Europe. I do a lot in Africa. I do stuff in Asia. Um, from my experience, the Western world is and has been for the last five years, I would argue, at a dangerous turning point right now. Hmm. Because I think there is a, a, a not a complete, but an overwhelming sense of arrogance and apathy Mm. towards customer experience um, mm. to the point where far too many think that they're doing it already mm -hmm. and there is nothing left to learn. Mm. Um, now, the US, I think, is an extreme with that. Now, the US in itself is the land of extremes, as I like to call it, because you do have some of the very best examples of customer centricity. But as you know, you also have some of the very, very worst um, and then lots of stuff in the middle. Yeah. Um uh, but I think it, 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 it is this recognition that we never stop learning and yeah. that the environment keeps changing around us. There are some parts of the US who I, I think are, it's an, you, you have an amazing experience when you go there. But there are other parts. It's a little bit like going back in time. Um, and, you know, I think, are there enough US corporations who recognize that we cannot stand still? We've got to keep evolving. That would be my challenge. It's not radically different in the UK, to be honest. I think there is a lot of arrogance here as well. Um, and the reason I say that is that when I go to parts of Eastern Europe, parts of Africa, parts of the Middle East, their thinking is very different. Hmm. You know, th these are very often what many would say less developed economies. You know, but I think that's that's insulting language, actually, because the level of education in those parts of the world is now no different to the mm. West. And yeah. so they've got the same level of education, but the difference is, is that they've got hunger and desire. Mm. And they want better. They want to improve and they will improve. And, and what I see is that they are advancing incredibly quickly. I was in Turkey last week. Um, it's astonishing how organizations in that part of the world are approaching customer experience and they are advancing so quickly. So, so I think my, um, my guidance to those who think they've done it already is you, you ain't seen nothing yet. You, you cannot stop. Customer experience is indefinite. It, it's not something that you've done. You've never done it. And right. if you don't keep evolving, Ultimately, you will be overtaken. Um, that the only saving grace, possibly, um, I learned something in Turkey. I, I learned something all the time. And I don't know if you know this, but on CX Day, which is on the 3rd of October, 
Mm -hmm. um, Biden and Harris, apparently, are doing a fireside chat on none other than customer experience. Did you know oh, that? I didn't know that. Yeah. Why don't we know that? <laughs> but <laughs> now, obviously, I, I don't want to get into a political conversation, but yeah. if the president of the US is prepared to actually have a conversation about customer service, that, that I think is actually very significant. And, yeah. and what's interesting is that the public sector in the Middle East, um, CX is led by the public sector there. You know, mm. it's amazing. So I think it's so important we don't take our eyes off the ball. And and that, that would be my guidance to um, North America right now. Yeah. All right. Well, good stuff. Uh, appreciate the global perspective. And uh, I don't know how you travel so much, but God bless you. <laughs> um, hey, um, one question I ask all my guests uh, before we land the plane here is, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? So I'm asked that question a lot. Um, what I would say to my 20-year-old self is if you're doing the right thing for the right reason, you've got nothing to lose. Hmm. You know, So believe in what you're doing. Don't, don't let people try and convince you otherwise. If you know what you're doing is for the right reason and you do it in an, an empathetic and sensitive way, just do it. Just don't, do it. Don't, don't try and get permission. Just, just do it. You know, mm. seek forgiveness if you have to. But what are you going to seek forgiveness for? For trying to do the right thing? Um, that's what I would tell my 20-year-old self. Excellent. Excellent. Ian, if, uh, if folks listening today would like to reach out to you, what would be the best way? Well, some would say I'm far too visible on LinkedIn. So you're, you're bound to see my ugly face somewhere on LinkedIn. Um, so that that's the easiest way is connect with me on there. Um, yeah. And if you want to buy the book, not that I'm trying to sell it to you, you can find it, surprise, surprise, on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, excellent. Ian, thank you so much for being on the show. It is such a pleasure, Mark. I, I, I've loved chatting with you, and I'm sure we will get the chance to do it again, not just virtually, but face-to-face -face as well. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'd like to ask you a favor. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on the show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com.